Welcome back, everyone, to True Philadelphian Sportscast. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Um, luckily, we can finally get back to doing a show. Today, we're going to be doing Jetpacks to the Bank. How you doing today, Joe? Doing very well, very well, especially if the Sixers close out this game and the Flyers and Sixers both won yesterday, so that helps with everything. Yeah, luckily, it's been a, been a fun time recently in this uh, Philadelphia sports world. Take out the Eagles. Put a big X through the Eagles, honestly, with how they've been there. I mean, Sixers have been playing well, and the Flyers have been play- playing well. And how about finally the Phillies make some uh, big news and finally sign the a pitcher that I think most fans were at least dying for, and we lock up uh, Zach Wheeler. So why don't we get your thoughts on that move uh, to start the show? Yeah, I mean, I really like Zach Wheeler and everything that comes with him and his stuff and the fact that he has a lot of potential. The only obvious concern I have is what I texted you right after we made the move which is longevity of the contract. It's a five-year contract. If you get three out of five years, great, then I don't give a rat's ass. Because normal contracts you get every year but the final two is what it tends to be on long-term contracts is when the guy starts to die out. Um, So I'm fine with him dying out of the backhand, but if he, say, has like two good years and then those final three are tough, that contract won't look as good. But uh, for me, I think... The more and more I thought about it since signing him, I worry less because I've read more and more about just how great Brian Price is at getting a specific regimen for each pitcher that also goes to help keep that guy healthy, which is why I think he'll also help our bullpen guys coming back. So I think it'll be a good move, and you'll at least get three out of the five years as a very good Zach Wheeler, and then after that, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I get that, but here's... Here's the thing with me is that's what Zach Wheeler is going to get. He was going to get four to five years, and that's just what the market offers nowadays. So we were afraid to do that last year. It clearly uh, clearly played an effect on our team. It really cost us a postseason chance. So I think all the pressure is put on Clentac this year. And when you have all that pressure on you, you have to – you have to extend it a little bit. Like, when you go to the Sixers, like, when they had to make the move to finally get some free agents, I mean, I think everyone can agree. We overpaid J.J. Redick, but that's what you have to do to make that first move. So you saw us get Harper last year, and to get that move this year, you're going to have to outbid some other teams. And that, to me, that was just something they had to do. Yeah. Let's go maybe that extra year, the extra $5 million maybe, to get that guy here, especially when you're bringing him from a rival. It, it kind of just costs that kind of extra extra uh, effort there to get him. Yeah. Well, Zach Wheeler also, the reason I think it'll work out well here is he obviously really wanted to come here and stay more East Coast since we heard, I don't know if you heard the reports, but I heard the reports of the White Sox offered him, apparently Ken Rosenthal said, probably over 120. So the White Sox offered him more money, but I think it's his wife's from the area. So they wanted her to be closer to family, so he decided that it makes more sense to stay East Coast. So... That also factors in for how much I think he wanted to come here, too, because obviously I would think Zach Wheeler thinks the Phillies are more in competitive edge competition next year than the White Sox. Yeah, absolutely, but, and uh, that's that's something um, that bodes well for the Phillies because I did read that same same report as you that the White Sox did offer more. So uh, thank you to Mrs. Wheeler for wanting to stay on the East Coast especially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think this this just plays well because like this is something the Phillies lacked, especially in today's game, is having that high 
high uh, throw, like high uh, flamethrower pitcher. Where exactly? I mean, yeah. we really don't have starters that can touch ninety seven, ninety eight, and that's something really will will be able to do for us at least next year. Hopefully, a few more years, like you said. I would say years, probably for a couple years. Down a little bit. Yeah. Well, the thing with Wheeler though is too. I think the reason there's a perfect situation here is other than Nato or Nito, not Nato. Nato's our point guard. Nito, the <laughs> Mets backup uh, catcher. They don't. They haven't had the best defensive people in recent years because Dayar knows good, but he was banged up when he was on the match. So Wheeler's been getting caught a lot by guys like Ramos and people that just don't value calling the game and catching that much. They value more offensive side. So that probably factors into your numbers a little bit. Where now that you're being caught by the best game manager in baseball, that might also positively affect your numbers as well. Not just how well the coaching staff will help you out, but how well JT will put confidence in your breaking pitches and your other um, fastballs rather than just your four-seamer. And uh, it's something, hopefully, like you said, Price can uh, help continue to develop that four-seamer. And uh, it's just it's an interesting spot to see how he does develop. Because, I mean, my the other issue I had outside the longevity is kind of his injury history and uh, how that affected the beginning of his career. And he's never been able to get to that full potential that he's wanted. And hopefully that's something we can develop and watch his health for a little bit and and then maintain that into a stronger arm because yeah. I think that's the, other, that's the other concern with the, this kind of contract. Yeah, well, I didn't realize he actually, I think it's 60 starts over the last two years, so that would be 30 and 30. So I was surprised when it was that high. So that made me more confident in the move too because he's been predominantly healthy the past year. I believe it was around that number. It might have been high 50s, but... It was somewhere around that number of the last years. There's a good amount of starts for two years. So that made me a lot happier about the deal. And then what really made um, Wheeler his bread was the second half of 2018. I mean, he pitched teat for tot basically with the Cy Young winner. Him and Jacob DeGrom, if you look at their second half 2018 numbers, were literally side-by-side basically. So that really helped him. And then he, of course, had a very solid second half this year. So for people, for most people, it's just can we get four months rather than two months? Like Corey, I don't know if you listen to At the Yard at all, but Corey Seidman kind of said that on At the Yard. He's like, if you can get four months rather than two months, then you're talking about a potential second ace. So that is a big factor for Wheeler too. Man, that's just the type of a pitcher he is. Because even outside of 2018, even last year in 2019, I mean, it wasn't as good as 2018, but uh, last year he had and he. Uh, Oh no, that's his career wise. Career wise, my bad. He's fourteen and three with a two twenty six year right after the All Star break in the last two years. So I mean that that guy that goes beyond just eighteen. I mean even last year he did the same thing. Yeah. So that's just the type of pitcher he is. So yeah, and I do listen to that podcast as well. So going off what both you Corey, what you and Corey said is that's something you want. But again, that kind of just goes with development, and that's something that's going to be put on Price's hands, and mm-hmm. uh, you know what you're getting out of him. Yeah, well, I also, speaking of development, since we're talking about a rotation and we'll probably talk about it in a couple of minutes if we think we need another piece in it or not, a big guy that we want to continue to develop is Zach Eflin. And we saw him pitch well when he finally told the coaching staff, I'm pitching like I want to pitch, not the way you want me to pitch. And that's kind of how Price makes his game plan, it seems, around how you want to do you. So... That's going to be good, I think, for Eflin, where I don't know about you, but personally, I believe this year might be the best we've ever seen him because they're just going to let him be him. 
And I mean that it's a perfect opportunity to lead into, into what else we want to do. So if you disagree with me in anything right now, just let me know. But I'd say with that signing, our projected rotation for next year would probably be Nola at the one spot, Wheeler at the two spot, and then mix mix and match just any way you want. But I'd probably say to start the year, Arietta three, kind of Zach Eflin four, and then you'll have a spring training spring training battle, excuse me, between Vince Velasquez and Nick Pavetta, and you might see the loser of that battle moved to the bullpen. So me personally, I'd rather see us get a third starter to kind of push Pavetta or Velasquez out of that rotation, uh, moving one of them to the bullpen and then probably eventually moving the other. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I would be pretty much in unison with that because Pavetta, it's just weird because you see that he has the movement and he has the speed and it just, he can't, put it into one he had that complete game last year that I was at actually which was honestly better than some games I've seen Aaron Nola pitch so that's what I mean like he has the stuff because that was one of the better complete games I've seen and I've been at a lot of Phillies games in the last eight years so like that was and quite a few of and most of I think yeah and then one of like some of our better pitchers so it was weird going, wow, Nick Pavetta pitched great today, and then I thought he was going to get on a roll, and that just never happened. Maybe, like, that's what kind of everyone said, Brian Price and Joe Girardi are kind of the holy grails of, like, Price is known well-regarded as a pitching coach, and obviously Joe Girardi's a very well-regarded manager, at being able to just know exactly how to fix, like, how to help that one person. So if anybody can fix Nick Pavetta, it's those two. Well, that's that's actually something I was going to ask as we were talking about this is, you already mentioned how Zach Eflin kind of told the staff, "I'm going to pitch my way because that's how better I can, that's how I can get my to my full potential." And maybe that's what was affecting Nick Pavetta in a way is, is the staff we had, and with Pavetta bouncing back from a starter to a reliever for a little bit, all the way to going back down to the minors before coming back up. Maybe since he was in that tough spot where he. He kind of had to listen to the staff and stuff just because he was bouncing around everywhere. Maybe he didn't have the same leeway to tell the staff, I need to pitch this way. So maybe maybe this is the year. I mean, there's a lot of hype uh, behind Pavetta going into last season. So maybe this is the year with the staff, as you said, will let the guy kind of play to his the way he wants to until it doesn't work. Maybe this is the year we can finally see Pavetta reach his potential. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that does have a degree to do with it because – I remember during the whole course of the season, many analysts were saying, if Pavetta's having trouble locating his fastball in general, how are you going to try to ask him to throw it up and in or jam a right-hander? Nine times out of ten, that's going to be hit or it's going to be smashed for a home run because he can't get it in because he doesn't have the control on the outside corner, let alone the inside. So, that was a so yeah, I do think Pavetta pitched more like the coaching staff wanted him to pitch than himself. I, do, I, do, I, I would believe that as well. And luckily, uh, luckily we found ourselves a new uh, pitching coach, and don't have to worry about that this year. But so you agree with me on wanting to get a new pitcher? So let's talk about: Would you rather sign? I mean, obviously, if it was there, we'd all rather Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. But with that kind of big contract already out there, I think we can agree it's most likely not going to be the case. So would you rather sign, say, a Dallas Keuchel, Madison Bumgarner, one of those two, or like that kind of? talent level would you rather see this kind of trade for somebody say 
a Shane Bieber or a Mike Clevenger that the Indians have already said they're willing to trade as the winter meetings opened up. What about Minor? I think the Rangers would still trade Minor if you wanted to. It depends, though. Cause yeah, I was just throwing out any, like, possible yeah. names. But I'm, the question more is, would you rather sign one of those guys or trade for someone? That's a good question. It really depends who's on the trip. Now, a guy I really like, if Detroit wants to trade him still, since there's been some rumors in the past, is Fulmer, since he's still young, and you have, I think, a few years of control via arbitration. So that would you would probably have to give up a little bit extra than if you were trading for some of these other guys. But you're also getting a guy that I believe is going on 26, if I'm not mistaken. So he's still younger. He's also a guy that can get the ball up there a little bit faster than our other pitchers. So I think he's a guy that would fit in. Well, now if we're talking about guys to sign, it depends on the money for Bumgarner because now I'm hearing he wants four or five years. So with that and the fact that the people said he's probably going to be over $100 million, I'm not sure how I, much I see that happening. I would love to have him, but I don't know how much I see that. Where I think Dallas Keuchel, if the Phillies want a lefty, would then become their secondary security blanket. Because I feel like Keuchel at most is getting like a two-year decent AAV contract, but it's not like he pitched like a world beater last year, so I don't think he's going to get four years. Yeah, and that's something else I think it's, for me at least, it's important to take into consideration. I don't know your views on it, but we can get them in a little bit after I ask the question. But we mentioned Keiko and Bumgarner, who are both lefties. And I don't know last time the Phillies started a season with a lefty in the rotation. I mean, it's been a lack of <laughs> lack of a area for the Phillies. And I'm someone who, maybe I take too much into it, but I'd like to see a lefty in one of those five spots just because – it adds a little bit of mix to rotation, and you're not just throwing a righty out there every day, and it it throws some lineups off sometimes when they have to change up and see a left-handed pitcher. So I'm personally someone that likes to see that in there. Yeah, personally, I also very much like to see a lefty because the problem is uh, when you don't. It's good to mix up your rotation when you have, especially when you get to the playoffs, to throw off lineups. If you have all righties, it kind of makes it easier for that team to game plan so it is good to have at least one lefty to break up your rotation whoever that may be Wade Miley's also out there I'm just indifferent about him yeah Wade Miley is an interesting name I, uh, he had a pretty good year last year so it'd be interesting to see because uh, he's kind of he's been a guy that's been either really good or really bad I feel like so I don't know if that's someone I mean it's a cheaper option if you wanted to do that yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't very much mind it because he's uh, he would be like our fourth or fifth guy, but it would depend on how much years we give him for a cheap contract. I would only want Wade Miley for like one or two years. I don't feel like giving Wade Miley a three-year contract, uh, even if it wasn't that expensive, just because I don't know if Wade Miley is going to be that good for three years. So, Yeah, and I think he was with the uh, Astros last year, so we'll see if they have any interest in bringing him back. Um, but as far as other big, uh, big news, we saw, um, the arbitration guys not get picked up some of them and we wanted to discuss some of that. So let's start with what you think. And was there any key names from there that you thought not only surprised you, but something you thought the Phillies could definitely use on their team? Um, well, there's a couple, I mean, it depends if you want he didn't have a good year last year, but obviously uh, Fegley's been a decent catcher in his career. 
And he got let go in arbitration. So if you want to get a security blanket for Andrew Knapp, there's a couple of those guys as options. Um, if you want an infield infielder to help from arbitration, that would be cheap. Uh, you got, like, the Beckhams in there. I do not really want Addison Russell. A pitching option for the Phillies that's cheap from the arbitration class now that you have the pitching coaches you think can retool and get people back to the way you want them, could potentially be an invitee to spring training or a one-year minor, like a minor league contract or a cheap contract to Aaron Sanchez as your fifth starter. If you want to try to get him going again to get another flamethrower in your rotation. I forgot he was there. The biggest one for me, though, would be Kevin Pillar, because then you have a security blanket for Hazley to platoon and not feel overpressed and likely what's going to be his first year mainly patrolling center field. So I feel like he would be a good guy to sign on a one-year deal if possible to kind of help out Adam Hazley. Yeah, and that's that's a direction, that, and that's another issue the Phillies got to figure out is what they want to do in center field. I mean, if the season started tomorrow, we'd still have a Dubo Herrera on the roster with Hazley, so it would be interesting to see who would be starting in that case, and they still got to yeah, figure out. Yeah, I don't out. think Odubel's going to be starting due to what Mac Lentak already said. Like, he almost kind of said in that one presser that this dude needs to prove that he's worthy, basically, in paraphrasing, but that's basically what he meant by what he said. Man, I mean, sometimes that battle, though, like, lifts you up, and he might have a top-notch spring training if they keep him. I, I'm still under the impression they should just flat-out cut him, move on from him, and take the consequences if he signs elsewhere and does really well. Um, but I just think there was that whole headache issue last year. And uh, it's nice to move on from that sometimes, especially since, uh, I mean, they they played, what was it, he got suspended for 80 games last year on top of the time he missed before that. And, I mean, he just, he was underperforming as it was. So I don't see the need in keeping him, especially with how well Adam Hazley played last year. And, I mean, he provided offensively and defensively. So, but like you said, Kevin, Kevin Pillar would be definitely be a spot, especially off the bench, you could use him. And uh, he's always the guy I always thought we could trade, like, especially last year. I thought he was the guy we might have possibly traded for, but obviously we didn't. And then I don't know what you think, but a name that stuck out to me is a guy that's played with Oakland for his entire career, and that was Blake uh, Tryon. And he's a good reliever out of the, uh, obviously out of the bullpen. I think it's a spot, obviously, the Phillies are desperate for. And he, he carries a two nine seven career RA. So I think that would be a huge addition to this team. Yeah, actually, that's a good one to bring up because I completely forgot about him. Zach and I were actually talking about him the other day, and it just didn't dawn on me that he was an arbitration guy. But, yeah, that that is a guy that would work out perfect because if you can get him going again, you can also close him if you need be sometime. So you don't need to – I don't know how Joe Girardi feels about Hector uh, and how much he wants to use him in the closer role, so you would have more options there. And then if Dominguez comes back and starts throwing well – Arano's coming back, too, so if you can get some of those guys going, that would almost be like picking up free agents also. Yeah, and uh, his, his best year was two years ago in 18 when he had a, he made the All-Star game and went 9-2 and two with a 0. 0.78 Oh, yeah, that's the year that Blake Tryon was like a robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that he had nine wins as a reliever, I mean, that's that's insane. Like, some, some starters can't even get nine wins. Yeah. Yeah, or you could be Rick Purcello and just have everyone score for you. You can also do that too. But I mean, he even has, like you said, if Girardi wanted to close him, he even has. I mean, he's been a closer with these 
uh, other teams. Uh, he had four. Or I didn't realize. I guess not my fault earlier. He did play with the Nationals to start his career. So it was weird. I read that. So he was drafted by the A's in eleven, and then they must have traded him, and then got him back. That's why I thought he was with the A's his entire. That's career. a very A's thing to do. Sometimes they get rid of people, and they're like, you know what? That was a terrible idea. When this guy hits free agency, let's get him back. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. I mean, that's just the way they seem to function. Is it like, is it, is it mirrored? It seems like they have like a new type of roster every year. Like they'll keep the same two or three core guys, and then besides that, and the Pinder. roster just changes like like every every yeah. offseason. Chad Pinder's almost like the Brock Holt of the A's. Now that Brock Holt's actually off Boston now, it seems like, but like that guy that's just that steady dude that everyone loves that plays hard at any position you put him at. Uh, I'm pretty sure they kept Chad Pinder, so that's just like one of the role guys they always keep on their team. But And hopefully, that's actually another guy we need to talk about. Um, now that you say like role-type players, is uh, we also signed uh, Josh Harrison. Cause, and I think he could be that kind of role player for us. Yeah, I like... Uh... I like Harrison a lot. I've always, I always liked his game when he was in Pittsburgh because when you would watch him on MLB Tonight or whatever, he was one of those guys, kind of like I just said, that would always go 110% because he knew he wasn't one of the most talented guys on the field. So he always used his smarts and base running ability and all that to his advantage. Plus, at some positions, he is a pretty good fielder. At other positions, he's average, but... The value of him is you can play him around the infield or around the outfield. I wouldn't put him in center, but you can play him in right or left and in most infield positions. So I think he does add a lot of value because the difference with him, too, even if Sean Rodriguez was able to do anything last year, throughout their careers, Rodriguez has mainly been a lefties guy, where Harrison has hit both sides fairly well. He just killed lefties when he was in his peak. Yeah, he's a guy I've liked for the longest time, too. And, uh, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it was a nice cheap deal, too. So, I mean, either way, whether it works out or not, it shouldn't really back us up at all in terms of anything that will kill the team financially-wise. And I think I think it could be a big steal this offseason if, if it pans out. And, obviously, you got a lot, long way to go in the offseason, but we can talk about who else we want and all the, on, all the rumors on that end. But I was looking at uh, Philly's projected 2020 lineup, and it actually had Josh Harrison currently starting if the season was to start tomorrow at uh, second base. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Who they have starting at third, Scotty? Yeah, they'd have, so it, okay, what they have is McCutcheon in the outfield, JT catching, Harper outfield, Ho- Hoskins first base, Segura short, Kingery third. They have Herrera starting it in center, but obviously I think they'd go Hazley, and then uh, Josh Harrison playing second. Yeah, I mean, the only way I also see O'Double starting, even if he does stay here, is if he has a very good spring training. I don't see him starting otherwise. Yeah, I don't, I just, I don't see how her has a future here, and I mean, I don't know. And that's that's another thing is like some of these positions the Phillies have is so log jammed, and I don't know. I think the biggest rumor right now with the Phillies is we're about to try to go all in with Anthony Rendon, and that creates a whole other log jam. Because don't get me wrong, I love Anthony to come here, but I mean you're going to sign him to what five to seven years probably, if not a little more, 
and then your best prospect right now is a third baseman. So you'd either trade Hoskins or Alec Baum in that case. And obviously, if you trade Hoskins, you move Alec to first. So I don't know. Actually, let's play that scenario out. Like, so say you do sign Anthony Rendon or even Josh Donaldson. Would you trade Hoskins or would you trade Alec? Well, that's another thing, ironic enough, that Zach and I were talking about on PS4 the other night. <laughs> um, we both came to the conclusion if you get Donaldson, you probably don't need to trade Bone because it seems like Donaldson's deal might be like two years with an option or like a three, where you could probably get Bone in the lineup enough platoon-wise at first, third, and... Whatever, because you don't want to... Josh Donaldson, at this point of a career, is a guy that can play a lot of games, but you probably do want to rest him more than you used to. So, if he's only here for, say, two years, I don't think you really have to trade Bone because you should be able to find time to get him in a lineup when you want to rest Reese and or Josh Donaldson. And then, plus, they also talked about letting him play some left field, so see what happens there. Uh, you could probably throw him in left field if his bat's doing well, so... Please do not send him to left field. We already saw how that works out. Well, I wouldn't say you would start him in left field like you did with Reese. It would be more he would play some left field by default if his bat was doing well just to get him in the lineup. He's not going to put Josh Donaldson in left field. That would be terrible. Yeah, that would be worse than uh, throwing Alec out there. Um, but, I mean, do you buy into these Anthony Rendon rumors? Because, I mean, I hope they're right, but I just... I don't know. I'd be shocked if they actually went out and signed. I think we have a better chance of signing Donaldson than Rendon because Donaldson's going to be a much lesser year total and probably a decently lesser AAV. Um, AAV might not be that much lesser just because he's only getting two to three years, so he might get upticked. Where Rendon getting five to seven might be actually somewhat, now that I think about it, might be somewhat near Donaldson just due to the year total. But for the AAV. But... Yeah, I don't necessarily see it with Rendon because we talked. My Middleton talked about paying the luxury tax, but if you get Rendon too, he also talked about taking advantage of future free agencies or organization in the past, not John Middleton per se, but other people, and that might make that tough to do. That's the only thing I think because if you get Rendon, even with Jake Arrieta's contract dropping off, you're still not going to have that much to play with next year. Yeah, and I mean outside the money issues too, in terms of the uh, luxury tax, but. I mean, you already lose a pick with uh, the signing of Zach Wheeler, and I'll be interested to see. They didn't want to give up one pick last offseason. They already give up one this year, and it'll be interesting to see if they let that pick play into any other future signings because of how hesitant they were last year. I'm curious if they, they'll they stop signing people because of the picks. I mean, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but whether you sign Donaldson or Rendon, wouldn't you lose a pick either way in, the, in that case? Yeah, I believe both of them were qualified, so yeah, you would lose a pick. I know Josh Donaldson was qualified because everyone thought we were more going for Moose or Donaldson, so they would talk about how we would have been better off getting Moose before he went to the Reds because he didn't have a qualifying. Yeah, since you bring up Moose, let's just announce real quick that the one guy the Phillies were looking at, Mike Moustakis, he is off the free agent market as he signed a four-year deal with the Cincinnati Reds uh, since our last podcast. So that is one guy that is now off the market for the Phillies, which was a big position that obviously we're going after, considering we're talking about Donaldson and Rendon. And that's a signing. I mean, let's just quickly get off the Phillies real quick. But that's a signing I love for the Reds. And I think they I think they have a chance to be dangerous next year. 
yeah, they have a chance. Their team always depends on how it all comes together. That's just that's just a Cincinnati. Like they've had teams in the past. You went, this team looks pretty solid on paper, and then they're just like all right at the end of the season, just because of things that happened during the season. So for me, yeah, it's it's about their pitchers continuing to progress. Obviously, they got Bauer in there now, which helps them plentiful. They have Sonny Gray, but they also have a lot of younger guys, too, that they used this year, whether it was hitting like a van meter or in the bullpen. So those guys have to keep progressing. And Glacius also did not pitch very well this year, so he needs to bounce back. So, But if all those things happen, they already have a pretty good lineup right now, so that might be able to plus two good guys at the top of the rotation, that might be able to balance out the rest anyway. I would say they could contend for a wild card. I'm not sure about the division next year, but... Yeah, I think, I think the division, not, not yet. But unless they do get a pitcher. But anyway, um, so I just think there's there's so many names still out there. And uh, let's just touch on some of the trade rumor. I guess there's one more free agent rumor we need to touch on, and that's uh, D.D. Gregorius, I think. The Phillies have been linked to him since, what, the the second free agency started? I mean, right after they signed Girardi because they played together. Um, with all those rumors, I think Didi is basically a Philly already. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he... It would be interesting what we do if we get Diddy because would you move Segura and put Diddy at short or would you put Diddy at third like Kingery play second, put Diddy at second like Kingery play third? Like, it would be interesting to see what you do with the alignment if you get Gregorius. I, I think they're going to... I don't even know. Like, that, that, right, that creates no log jam, but they're so set on him. and I, I'm wondering... I mean, if you do sign him, you, you might have to move Segura, which... I mean, that, that's beyond their control to begin with because he does have a new trade clause. So even if you were to accept the deal, he's got to approve of it. So unless you give him to a contending team, he probably won't approve of the trade. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting spot, and maybe they – I mean, I don't know if Kingery's got a starting spot locked up, which is crazy to say. Like, I think with the way this offseason's trending – Kingery on opening day could be starting anywhere from second, short, third, or even center field. Yeah. Especially if there's a left-handed starter. I mean, I could see a left If whoever – I'm blanking on the schedule. I don't remember who we're playing. But if if we open up and they got a left-handed starting pitcher on the mound, I mean, I could easily see them going Kingery in center and benching Hazley to start. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um, I mean – for me, I would say it seemed like they would change the alignment where they were kind of talking about that on one of the uh, at the yards, but it would be odd for the alignment where some, but the one thing I didn't get that, I think it was Corey Simon said it was like, well, why would you move a shortstop to second base if he's, uh, and I'm like, well, because they were talking about range and how Segura is losing speed. And I'm like, well, second base does involve less range than shortstop. I don't think you can argue with that, Corey Simon, where it does involve ranging still, but not to the degree of shorts where it was kind of like a weird argument it was like I don't know if he would be good at second base because he's already slowing down at shortstop and I'm like there's been a million people that used to play shortstop that moved to second <laughs> so that that one argument didn't make a whole lot of sense to me when normally I actually see eye to eye with him but um Segura to me might not be a bad third baseman though because you figure the third base is more stationary yeah you have rockets hit at your face but you don't have to be rangy really to play third you just have to be able to catch the ball and throw it 
And we know Segura has a pretty strong arm, so. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you gotta be somewhat rangy. You have to be you somewhat pick... rangy. We have to be like Josh Donaldson rangy. You don't have to be like Troy Tulowitzki in his prime to play third base. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm just saying, yeah. like, to cover, like, the bunts and stuff and all that, you gotta have range in that sense is what I was gonna get at. Yeah, you have to have, you have to, you have to be good at crashing on the ball to play the, yeah, third base. If you're not good at that, then yeah, you probably shouldn't play third base. But Segura made some barehanded plays this year at short, so I wouldn't be too worried about him playing third base. And he's a guy I really like. Like I, I hope we don't. Or I hope we keep him and don't trade him. I mean, I think he get. I think he did a lot more than fans would give him credit for, just because he didn't hustle out two plays. And unfortunately, on one of those plays that people will say he didn't hustle, it obviously McCutcheon had his injury, so Segura will never be able to live that down. And that's just unfortunate for him because we know how fans can get sometimes here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what seemed to be a big factor for Segura, much like it was a factor for Cesar back in 2018 when he was playing through a foot injury. So, I think also with our new coaches, that's not going to fly as much, where Gabe was new, so he probably couldn't tell when somebody was off since you're a new manager. You're not going to be good at telling if someone's playing injured in your first job, probably. Because that's something you have to just learn by looking at the guy like, this does not look right. Where I'm, where I would think Girardi would be able to pick up on that a little bit. Where if Cesar, like if we still had Cesar, or like a Segura just started sucking all of a sudden when they were doing well, I think he would be a guy that'd be perfect comfortable approaching, saying, "Hey, is something up with you?" And if it is, you got to tell me right now. Yeah, and you mentioned two things right there, and what you just said, and two things I want to uh, touch on, and. The one, first one is going to be on Cesar, and the second one will be on Gabe Kapler because he was in the news recently. I don't, um, so let's start with Kapler real quick before I get back to the Cesar point. But for Gabe Kapler, who seemed to like not want to call anyone out when he was here, did you see what he said about Nick Williams? I did not. Recently, no, I did not, no. So he, he was uh, – I forget – what the exact question was, but he was asked something about Nick Williams, and they it brought up how um, it brought up the whole. Remember the whole big thing between Kapler and Williams last year when Williams was talking about being benched because of numbers and stuff. Yeah. So this is Gabe Kapler's quote on. Okay, so quickly, quick backstory. They said. Uh, when he was asked why Williams was uh, out of line, or what, when Williams was asked on why he was out of lineup last year, he said, "I guess the computers are making it. I don't know." And and Nick Williams' quote there, and then on, I think it was last Tuesday, um, someone brought brought it up again for whatever whoever knows what reason it was brought <laughs> up, but he responded with, "I wanted I, this is this is Gap, Kapler's exact quote. I wanted to say no, you you are not. You are just not very good at baseball." Kapler recalled, the reason he wasn't playing is because he wasn't producing. Sometimes I think that gets lost when people say that we're making decisions based on just numbers and stats. End quote. Hmm. <laughs> I was just so, so taken back on it just because how, and maybe it's just because Williams was on the team at that point, but like the, the fact that he called him out like that, he never did that when he was here. I, just, I was like so thrown off by it. Yeah, I think it's more of a now that you're not with the organization, you don't have to worry about seeing that guy again. 
So I think that obviously had a lot to play with it. I don't think I really agree with Gabe's assessment on Nick Williams either from his statistics of 2018. Last year he was absolute crap, but that's also because you had no faith in him. And that quote even proves you had no faith in him even further. So, um, that, yeah, that, that's been a whole weird dynamic since Gabe got here, the whole Nick Williams thing. Because he really, yeah, he didn't do good in contact rate and some stuff like that in 2018, obviously. But that's also because you were still trying to develop Nick Williams and then you kind of just axed him to the minors. So, it has been weird with him. Where it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nick Williams with Girardi now here, if he's going to become a guy that maybe the reason I said to Zach we're not signing a backup outfielder is because maybe Joe Girardi is the opposite of Gabe Kapler and actually likes Nick Williams, the fact that he adds some speed and he has a good arm in the outfield and likes him as our backup outfielder. Yeah, maybe that's the case, and I'd be all for giving him another shot, honestly. I've always been a big Nick Williams fan ever since we traded for him in the Cole Hamels deal. So I, Nick Williams grew on me. I, I've always been a fan of his. So I, I hope it works out for him because I think, I mean, even when we sent him down to the minors, he tore it up. Like, I think the potential's there. It's just a matter of piecing it together and finding ways to give him that playing And time. having the right coaches to exactly. develop and, his career. Uh, I, love, I love what this team has done this offseason in terms of – I mean, yeah, I know it was a capital guy, but obviously since we didn't keep him, I, I love what we've done outside of that. And – I mean, real quick, I don't think – I know we talked about Girardi and Price on the last podcast, but I don't know if we we had our hitting coach at that point. Did I don't know if we did, but – No, I don't think not, we – no, we didn't because I feel like I remember talking about um, Joe Dillon in the sense of we might hire Joe Dillon, and that's the guy that we are expected to hire. <laughs> and then so, – And then – so I think – and then we talked about how Matt Stairs is another guy we were expecting. We basically talked about everyone beyond and between, I think, that we were somewhat expected to hire. And then we kind of never got to um, – I don't think we even ever made a prediction on who we thought would be our hitting coach. We kind of just kept going and going on that. So, yeah, there, there, there's another announcement is – I mean, that's another guy I love, us signing Joe Dillon as the hitting coach, steal him from the Nationals. So I think, I mean, that's another good move this offseason for the Phillies is what seems to be playing out to be so far a nice offseason. Yeah, um, especially because you would think Dillon and Girardi are going to be two peas in a pod since Joe Dillon learned from Girardi's right-hand man as a hitting coach when he was there in New York for, I think it was seven years, Kevin Long was with Girardi. So that obviously really helps, and that's the main reason, not the main reason, but I think a huge reason why Joe Dillon got the job, because it comes from the same type of culture and mentality. Exactly, and I mean, it's going the right way, and we'll see. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of the other coaches. I don't know if they're planning on just staying the same or whatnot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do that, that kind of way. I mean, I think technically if they want, they can stay. Unless if Girardi wants otherwise, but anyway, yeah, back well, to the always invite them back to stay, so they could right. stay. But some, I wouldn't be surprised if Gabe tries to take some people. Yeah, I think I did hear Dave or Dave. Uh, G- Gabe was trying to take. Uh, I think I think Gabe was trying to bring on. Um, for for I forget who a first base coach was it a uh, Figora or something like that. Um, Gabe was trying to get him. I think Jim got 
out of the or bullpen. Yeah. I, I think were two names I heard uh, Kapler linked to bringing out. But actually, I don't even know. I haven't even heard what Kapler's done in terms of his support staff. No, I haven't really paid attention to it, to be honest. I don't know who. I don't know what he's done or if he's done anything yet. <laughs> so. Yeah. <coughs> um, but, yeah, going back to – you brought up Cesar Hernandez. That's another big thing that happened since our last podcast is um, we let go of Cesar Hernandez and Michael Franco. I don't know if you agree with both those or if you were surprised by any, but me personally, I was – I was not surprised by Franco. I was honestly kind of surprised by Hernandez. I thought they'd bring him back and at least, at minimum, try to trade him. Yeah, my guess would be they explored the market and realized it wouldn't. they wouldn't get anything of value, so they figured it would be a waste, of, uh, just creating more of a logjam, like we've already said many times in this pocket, if we brought him back and then we can't trade him because we don't get the deal we want. So I feel like that probably had a factor in. Obviously, I don't know for sure, but I feel like that had to have some factor in just by the way it played out. So that kind of surprised me from the get-go, but then I went, I assume it's because we couldn't find a partner for it because we probably asked people about if they would be interested in what we could get, and we probably didn't really like it. Where Franco, I wasn't really surprised at all because I think it's time for the betterment of his career plus uh, for the Phillies organization to just kind of move on from him. I've always thought he had untapped potential that we never really found to be a future DH or something like that, but we never found that really. He had a couple straight 20 home run seasons, but he never got to the next level. So I could see him going to an AL team with a good hitting coach so they can try to play him at third first some games and then DH him. I could see that being a possibility for Franco. Yeah, I agree. I wish wish both of them really well because – I I was a big Hernandez fan, and I thought he I thought Franco was uh, again like you said I think he just had potential that never developed here, and hopefully eventually it does for him and his career, um, especially DH wise. I think that's where he can find his true potential. But but I say that, but his defense is actually really good. So I I think if a team needs a third baseman, give him a shot just because. If you have the right guys that know how to develop Hell, I could see him going to Oakland. Even though they don't need a damn third baseman. They'll be like, yeah, Mikel Franco, you could just go to DH some days and we're going to use you as a backup when we feel like it. And then somehow as a backup, we'll hit 20-something home runs and you'll be like, oh, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, he, he could have. Uh, that's actually not a bad spot for me either. I was thinking um, Kansas City probably could use him. Wasn't Kansas City still up Dozier? Did they? Uh, yeah, yeah I don't think they, they didn't trade Hunter Dozier, so they switched to Hunter. I thought, I thought he played time at first, though. I could be wrong. He does, but I think he plays mainly third. But, uh, he, I mean, he can play third, let's put it that way. So, I don't know okay. what they want to do there. Unless if they wanted to move Hunter Dozier to first and then put him at third. But, yeah, it could be a possibility. I could also see, if we're talking about an NL team, maybe the Diamondbacks. Because they could use him as a backup as well, even though they because they have guys that get banged up down there sometimes. And then they, I don't know what they did with Jake Lamb. I'm not sure if they offered him arbitration or if they let him go to free. What happened with Jake Lamb? I didn't even pay attention to it. Um, honestly, I, I didn't see anything on Jake Lamb either. Yeah, I don't know if they let they gave him arbitration or kind of just let him go. But uh, I, if they let Jake Lamb go, I could see them getting Franco because he's kind of at very least, a right-handed version of a better 
right-handed version of Lamb, where Lamb had a down season last year. Franco, even in the minimum games he played, I think had better statistics than Jake Lamb for 10 years of time last year, just because Jake Lamb had a very off-season. Hey, Jake, I mean, Jake Lamb's always been a pretty good player. Um, so I'd be surprised if they kind of let him walk, honestly. Yeah, well, Jake Lamb was also an under-the-radar guy that if they let him walk, people were like, well, the Phillies could try to sign him for cheap and see what happened. But the also, the one guy I'm surprised, I don't know about you, but since we're talking about building up depth, the one guy I'm surprised we haven't re-signed yet was Miller. Or is Miller. Because we talked, I remember reading stuff about how the Phillies really liked how he ended the season and were interested in keeping him as a bench player. So it kind of just surprises me that he's not already re-signed since we do need, obviously, uh, those depth guys. And he would be a good guy to have with Harrison because then you have one lefty, one righty. Yeah, I I just think, I mean, Miller's kind of a Gabe guy, I feel like. I mean, yeah, the rumors came out that we liked him or the organization likes him. But if you think about it, like, when you get a new coach, sometimes he tries to bring in new guys. And I, honestly, I think they might try to go elsewhere. You saw you saw with the Harrison signing, there's other guys out there. Rocky. I think Miller will honestly be like a last last resort signing just to bring back for them. Gotcha. Well, if we don't keep Miller, then I have a guy that I've been watching for many years that I would recommend the Phillies getting then. You don't keep Brad Miller, sign Brock Holt. Got the lefty-righty combination right there. Yeah, I mean, I'd be fine with that. And I think, uh, I, I just, I, I think they're going to try to be active in the trade market. So I, I think they might try to pick somebody up in, um, in the sense of uh, finding a way to trade. I mean... Yeah, There's so many options out there this offseason that... I don't know. I mean, depending what the trade is, I don't know if you... Usually you don't trade for depth people until, like, you're in season. Typically that doesn't happen. Usually there's bigger trades in the offseason. But, yeah, I guess we could. Yeah, but, I mean, there's also guys like... Um, we also have some guys in the minors that could play that kind of role-player option style, too. Um... We have a couple guys that might be ready, yeah. And then we have a few guys that if we keep a bit organization. We're not bad last year. But, yeah, I mean, I just think Holt and Harrison, if we don't keep Miller, would be a good combo because it's good to have a lefty-righty as your uh, backup infielders and also for both of those guys, infielders and outfielders. So. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, it's funny because... It's, it's hard trying to, like, pick out certain rumors you want to talk about because, like, I feel like Phillies have been linked to almost, like, everybody this offseason. Yeah, like, that's we've been, true. Like, we've been linked to, obviously, Anthony Rendon, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg. Um, people have linked us to different uh, different trade rumors. Uh, Red Sox are trying to trade bets. We've been linked into that. Um, so, I've even seen some... Uh, Rumors about us going after Whit Mayfield again from Kansas City. We've been linked to Lindor, too. Yeah, it's another big one, Francisco Lindor. I mean, and that's the thing. I think that's another one. You sign him, you'd probably end up trading That's somewhere I could see 
Well, the thing is, I could see us giving a prospect, but in order for the Indians to have a shortstop, I would not be surprised if we try to put Segura in that deal. Because he would probably waive his no-trade clause and go to Cleveland, since Cleveland's supposed to be half-decent. Um, they're just trying to kind of retool because they don't want to have to re-sign Clevenger for a bunch of money. And they would rather... Uh, they don't really want to trade Francisco Lindor. It's just they feel they have to because they're not the biggest market team and they have to find a way to spread out the wealth across their team. So I feel like Segura, obviously, his cap hit per year would be a lot cheaper than when you have to pay Lindor. So I feel like that might work where you give them prospects plus Segura so they have a shortstop. Man, I mean, it'd be a lot, but maybe if you're trading with Lindor, maybe you try to get Bieber or Clevenger out of that, too, and just add a few more prospects. I mean, that'd be a blockbuster for the ages, but... Well, if it was Shane Bieber, it would be a blockbuster. Mike Clevenger's very good, don't get me wrong. But if you got Shane Bieber in the same trade with Francisco Lindor, I'm pretty sure most of Cleveland would want to kill their GM unless if we, unless if we gave them, like... Alex Bohm, Medina, Spencer Howard, and all these dudes in that trade. <laughs> like, unless if we just went all out and gave him basically the rest of our farm system in Gene Segura, then I wouldn't see Indians fans being mad. But other than that, and I wouldn't necessarily want to do that either, I wouldn't see Indians fans being a little pissed off if we were able to do that. See, I don't call players untouchable that much, but I think Spencer Howard's a guy that the Phillies need to make untouchable just because we've lacked pitchers so much. Uh, you need to keep Spencer Howard. If you if you want to sign like Rendon and then end up trading Alec Bomb or something, that's one thing. But like I think Spencer Howard is just the guy you need to keep because you need that pitching depth. Yeah. Well, we're uh, heading into what is the last um, 10 minutes of our recording. But um, for me... I would say Spence is a guy you do have to cave is untouchable. In that business of baseball thing they have on MLB Network, uh, a couple of the GMs and VPs, etc., talked about how, like, doing the system, and back in the day it seemed like we had a lot more GMs that cared just about the big club. Like Ruben, for example, traded all of our prospects to keep the big club steady. There were a lot more people just like him during that time and even a couple years back where now there tends to be more of a balancing act amongst GMs where they still want to keep, which is a good thing, part of their prospect pool plus have their big club good where before a lot of, not a lot of GMs, but a select GMs would just sacrifice their prospect pool to actually have a decent team and they would only be good for like two to three years. That's why I don't like the whole like blockbuster with the, the Indians, because I know that would be including, like, our entire farm system. And at that point, we have to hope to God that Shane Beeble or Francisco Lindor never get a bad injury. Because uh, then that trade's just not going to look that good. Right. <laughs> so, the that's another side of that. Also, you're looking at when Shane Bieber's owed money, a $100 million pitcher, plus maybe a $200 million, or like a $150 million shortstop. So that's also you got to think about how much two of those guys are going to cost together. That's true, but again, so I, I don't put cost too much into the Phillies because I mean we shouldn't have to really worry. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to pay the luxury tax in terms of cost, but I mean 
we can pay it off, especially because I think one thing people forget is you pay the luxury tax this year. Next year, you're basically off the luxury tax because you're opening up so much money next year just because in one, Jake Arrieta is going to be gone. So it's $25 million right there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Arietta opens up a lot of. And then you also have in, I think it's after the 2021 season, the new CBA comes out. So that might also um, change the... I wouldn't. Be, sometimes in the CBA they have financials, how it changes to help out lower market teams, which then in return kind of also helps out higher market teams most of the time. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that changes the scheme of how much money teams can spend before hitting the luxury tax. Yeah, and I mean, that's something the Phillies said they're willing to do this year, so hopefully that stands true. We add a couple more guys and we can come back on here talking about signing either Gregorius, Anthony Rendon, or something like that. But since we are coming down to the stretch here, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap it up? Yeah, the one thing I wanted to touch on just to wrap up is we've had guys that had, well, really one particular guy that had a down year last year because you touched on how Segura was, his injury and stuff. And also, Kingery never hit his full potential with Cap, where he was starting to hit better last year, then he tailed off again in the second half. I think Reese, for one, is going to bounce back with Joe Dillon and Girardi and have, I don't know if he's going to come on like a world beater like he did two years ago. He's just going to have a good first base season, I think. And then Kingery, if he's giving the ample playing time like I think he should be given, will probably have his most consistent season from first half through second half, I think, with the system we have in place now compared to always knee-jerking these guys and throwing different stats in their head when they're going a little bit cold. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Kingery and Hoskins will both benefit. And again, two guys, I think, bought into John Malley and Kapler's system. And I think Hoskins taken – I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the walks are good and all, but – I think he bought in a little too much to taking all those pitches and it eventually caught up to him and it kind of affected his swing a lot more than I think people think. And, yeah, now everyone's willing to trade him. But I think he's a guy you want to keep because I think uh, Dylan will be able to change Hoskins back to his original approach. And like you said, yeah, I'm not going to expect him to hit all those bombs like he did at the end of the 17 season because that was more unheard of than – usual so i think but i think he can get back to being a 30 to 35 home run hitter with 100 rbis so that's why i think hoskins especially because when you compare hoskins and bomb i mean yeah i think bomb will be a, a great player and be one of the best third basemen when he comes up but i'd rather have that guy that's here now knows how to play in those big big kind of situations and i, I believe hoskins can produce and that's why i'd be fine with keeping hoskins in that sense yeah, it's good to have guys that have been there, done it already, rather than having to rely when you want to be very competitive on... Now, granted, this will sound weird to say, but on a rookie with how hot a lot of our rookies have been in baseball in recent years. But you don't know that. You can't predict that. So it's good to have that guy that's been there, done that. If Alec Bone comes up and starts playing like a world beater, then fantastic. But you can't predict that, so... Yeah. But I think... Uh, that's that's all I have for this, and I think uh, hopefully again 
we sign a couple more guys in the near future. Again, winter meetings opened up today, so there's definitely going to be a lot of rumors swirling around. So continue to check our Twitter uh, between the podcast Twitter, which is at true underscore Philly sport and our own personal Twitters. Uh, Joe, what's your Twitter? JJ Bork 26. And I'm AJ underscore Santangelo. And we will try to keep everyone updated as possible as these rumors swirl around. And again, thank you for listening to the Jetpacks to the Bank uh, section of the podcast with True Philadelphian Sportcast. Give it a listen, uh, please. Uh, interact with us on Twitter and give us some feedback as well. Uh, thank you guys for joining us today.